G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. Previously, on Who Killed Leanne Holland? Two young girls get murdered within one month? That doesn't happen. No, well, I don't believe it happens. In a short space of time, in the same locale... Two 12-year-old girls murdered. She told me that she was of the opinion that Sean was involved in the death of Leanne. He, he was the mother saying that she thought her son was involved in Leanne's murder. Said her son, Sean, who has pleaded not guilty to murder, was about four and a half years old when he drowned his three-year-old brother, Jason. Never, ever missed a shift, except for the week of Leanne Holland's murder. He was a no-show. Monday through Wednesday. He killed a young girl once a couple of years ago just to feel what it was like to kill someone. She told me that it happened near the beehives out towards Red Bank Plains. When somebody, when a girl was strangled, three weeks after five people were shot in one night, they never thought of connecting the two. Suddenly Perth had two murderers, a shooter and a strangler. A 610 Media Production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Chapter 12. Cops and Robber. So welcome to Who Killed Leanne Holland, Chapter 12. How are you doing, Graham? Very well, thanks. Jamie, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. And I have noticed that we have had... 300,000 downloads, which is just amazing. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, eh? Yeah, all over the world, so, yeah. So, yeah, thanks thanks to all of our listeners. Yes, thank you. Very thrilled with that. Yes, and also to everyone who has signed the petition um, to raise support for a coronial inquiry into Leanne's murder. Um, continue to sign that, continue to share it. The more signatures we get the better exposure we get and um, yeah we really hope to gain traction with it and the end goal is to get an inquiry so please continue to share and sign. Just on that chapter 15 we're talking about a coronial inquest we'll be inviting the Attorney General of Queensland to come onto the podcast and we'll be presenting her with that petition and asking for a coronial inquiry into Leanne's murder. Also, I just want to do a huge thank you to everyone who has donated um, to that supporter feature on our podcasts. Yes, thank you. For the price of a coffee, uh, it really helps us out. It does cost a bit of money to produce a podcast, so every bit helps. So, yeah, thank you again. And by the way, you don't have to do that every chapter. That's just a one-off, but thanks. Yes. All right, so let's discuss some feedback first. We've got some feedback and we've got sure. some questions. So this one is from Courtney. I just want to say this podcast has me hooked. Definitely one of the best investigative podcasts I've listened to. I really hope justice is served to the person who did this. Couldn't agree more, Courtney. It's great to hear that positive feedback. This one's from Carla. Hello, I'm completing a report on the forensic evidence in this case, and this site has proved very helpful. But just out of my own curiosity, do you know if Graham had a prior police record before this murder? Thanks. Um, I'll answer that, Jamie, if you like. No, 
uh, Graham Stafford had no convictions before his arrest for the murder and he has had no convictions since his release from prison, which was 2006. So he's been out uh, 14 years. So, yeah, clean skin. Yep. And this one is from Ellie. Hi, Jamie and Graham. Congratulations on an amazing podcast. I've loved every minute of it. I was wondering, was a scan report on Graham Stafford's statements, interviews, and overall behaviours conducted? Graham, over to you, mate. Um, the answer to that is, I don't know. Uh, the We don't know what the police did and didn't do. I, I can say with some confidence that it wouldn't have been done in 1991, 1992, because scan analysis um, wasn't around then. It's a more recent uh, introduction into criminal investigation. And whilst I was aware of what a scan analysis was, I wasn't really clear on the definition of it, so I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it describes it as a technique for analysing the words people use to try to determine if what they said is accurate. Proponents claim this technique can be used to detect concealed information, missing information, and whether the information that person has provided is true or false. Okay, right. Well, that's a very interesting question, and yeah, short answer, we don't know. Uh, this one is from Tracy Whitaker. It's a question. She sent a question through on Facebook Messenger. And as I did say before, please send your questions and comments through. We might not get back to everyone, but we do read them eventually. So Tracy says, forgive me if this has already been addressed. Has Graham Stafford been awarded any compensation or is planning civil action against Queensland Police Department? Keep up the great work. Love the podcast, but find myself getting angry at the injustice. Regards, Tracy Whitaker. The short answer to that is Graham Stafford is not entitled to compensation as he was not found not guilty. The conviction was quashed but a retrial was ordered and the DPP chose not to retry him. So he's actually, we, we've discussed this before, but long story short, he's in legal limbo. He's not innocent, mm. but he's not guilty. Yeah, that's true. Whether he's um, whether he is considering action against uh, the Queensland police or the Queensland government, I, I don't know, but we could ask him. Okay, this one's from Jonathan Coe. Hey guys, loving the podcast. I just had a quick question. Apologise if it's been asked already. In regards to the need for an inquest into Leanne's death, which from what I understand, it should happen as it is the law, how do the police simply get away with not having one? Surely there is a system in place to flag such things so they don't happen. I personally believe this makes the police look like they have something to hide, plus the fact they don't want to release the evidence from the most recent review. Thanks, John. You go for that, Graham. You want to answer that one? I'll have a go at it. It's a bit of a complex question. Queensland does have an obligation to hold an inquest into every unexplained death. However, there is a, a rider wherein if there's some reason why it shouldn't be held, and the most common one is where someone is arrested for the offence. So back in 1991, Graham Stafford was, was arrested for the offence, so therefore there was a rider where they didn't need to hold the coroner's inquest. But after his conviction was quashed, then no one has been arrested for the offence. And so therefore, there should be an inquest into the death. The Queensland Police position and the state government position is that it's not in the public interest, which just defies common sense in my, my mind. Um, and that's why we want to ask the Attorney-General directly why she won't hold an inquest into the death. Yeah, well, excellent question, and thank you, Jonathan Coe. All right, so this chapter we are speaking again about an alternate suspect for this murder. This person is called Pedophile Pete. That's not his real name, obviously. That's what we're going to call him for this podcast. So where do we start? Can I just say that the, for those that wonder why we're calling Pedophile Pete, if we gave his real name, it could identify a victim of his sex offences. And under Queensland legislation, that is an offence. So before we go any further, we raise the question, is Pete just a pedophile or did he progress to murder? We don't know. His family say he's a killer. Let's look at the evidence. Pete is currently 67 years of age. He's a lifelong career criminal with convictions going back more than 40 years. He uses multiple aliases. He is currently awaiting trial on four charges of raping his 12-year-old granddaughter. He has been in prison on many occasions. Sex crimes, possession of firearms, property offences, stealing and the like. 
And you might remember from a couple of chapters ago where Dr. Terry Goldsworthy explained that you, you would expect to see some progression from a lesser offence up to murder. Here's what he said. If you look, for example, the Daniel Morecambe case, uh, the fellow involved in that had a history of very violent offending against children. And then um, he was a preferential type offender, as I talked about, yet his uh, murder of uh, Morecambe was, in fact, situational. He just happened to come across him at the right time and there was a lack of guardianship and he took advantage of that. So uh, I guess that's a good example of someone who's graduating up in terms of violence. We wondered if pedophile Pete was ever in the same prison and knew Mark Thomas Noble. We know they both lived in the Gooden area at the same time. We know they both spent a lot of time in prison. We know they were both career criminals. Pete's last known sentence was eight years for incest on a daughter. Incest charges on another daughter were not proceeded with. He was released from jail in 2007. He was a former neighbour of the Hollands, lived in the same street, Bailey Street. He knew the family well. For a time, he lived with the Hollands. He took the Holland girls in his truck on trips to Western Queensland, according to at least one neighbour. How did Pete come to your attention, Graham? Jamie, um, I had no knowledge. I was not aware of pedophile Pete at all until 2007, when I was contacted by a daughter of this man. There are some crimes that just cause revulsion almost across the entire community and incest is one of them. And the daughter had very, very bizarre, almost unbelievable claims to make about her father. I recently had a telephone conversation with this daughter. I call her Kim in this conversation, but that's not her real name. Uh, Quick warning, this conversation is extremely graphic. She talks about horrendous sexual abuse. So if you're sensitive to those issues, take care in listening. Kim, thanks for your time. just want to get a bit of an understanding about how you fit into this. What did your father do to you? Um, he sexually abused me. Um, at times, was violent. Like, he hit me. Uh, he used to put cigarettes out on me, burn me with cigarette lighters. And did you grow up in the Goodna area? Um, Raceview was the area okay, we were so- living at. So how close he to did the- live at he he did live at Goodna, um, on Bailey Street, and I spent a weekend there where I met Melissa Holland and Leanne. Okay. So you did meet Leanne. How did you meet Leanne? It was actually through the fence. Um, I wasn't. I was forbidden to have any contact with Leanne. Um, he had um, a nickname for Leanne by the name of. Um, and she was a bad girl, and um, that allowed me to socialise with Melissa. And what did he say about uh, Melissa, his relationship with Melissa? Um, that she was a friend of my older sister. Yeah, he allowed me to go over and play board games and watch a movie with Melissa, only because Leanne wasn't home. When and where and how often did your father, Pete, abuse you? Provide as much detail as you're comfortable to do so. Um, as often as he could. Like a monthly thing or a weekly thing? Uh, um, I'd say it was about every three weeks. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that you endured that. What kind of abuse was it? Um, full sexual abuse. Sometimes it was just where he smacked me around because I'd say no and fight him. Where would he go? Where would he take you? Um, sometimes it happened in the house that we lived in. Other times he'd pull up on the side of the road. On one occasion it was actually at the same place that Leanne Holland's body was found. How old do you think you might have been when this started? I was 14. How long did it go on for? Until I could get away. And return back to the care of my mother. So for years? Yeah, off and on for two years. Mm. Do you know if, if Pete's abused anyone else? I believe he abused my elder sister. 
Okay, but you're not aware of anyone else outside of the family? There was talk throughout the family. Um, there were friends, um, but I was, I was very young, so I don't recall the names. Did, did your father ever show you photos of Leanne Holland? Yes, he did. What were those photos? They were of her body, dead body. He handed me a manila folder and told me to have a look that this is what happens to little girls that don't do what they're told. And so you mentioned to me earlier that he burnt you um, with cigarettes and with lighters. Was it yeah. more? Was it like a combination of both all the time, or was it some sometimes and some the other times, or, or what? Sometimes it would. He'd be making out that he was joking around, and he'd put his cigarette out on me. And other times it was before being assaulted. Was it a certain part on your body that he used to do that to, or just anywhere? Most of the times it was in the thighs because he would say that the quickest way to open a woman's legs was with heat. He said that to you? Yes. And when you found out where Leanne's body was found, did that make you remember that your dad had taken you there as well? No, it wasn't. Um, I didn't know where it was. Then the police came and picked up my father. Um, it was much later when um, Graham Crowley came to my mother's house and spoke to me. And then we all went for a drive. And I didn't know how to get, like, where it was, what street it was on. I just knew how to get there. Mm. And um, when I first got out, I thought how I had made a mistake that I was in the wrong place. And then the memories sort of flushed back and I pointed out an area to Graham Crowley and where he had parked the car and where, I, where I'd been. And it happened to be the exactly the same place. He had taken Leanne. And do you know... Or where well, Leanne's body had been recovered. Did you ever see a white ambulance? Yes, he had friends that had attended the house. Um, I'm not sure of their names, only that, yeah, the owner of the car was named Danny, which they nicknamed Boone, and he was um, a member of the army, and um, he had came from Townsville. Okay. So he was stationed at Townsville. So... Danny was the owner of that white ambulance. Yes. But you don't know his last name. It was probably a long time ago. No. Right? no. No. What do you think happened to Leanne Holland? I believe my father killed her. Instead of me. Instead of you. Yep. And... What what makes you think that? Because Leanne and I look identical, other than her eyes are green and mine are blue. Okay. He never told you that he killed her? No. But that's just your feeling from your experiences and your interactions with your dad that makes you believe He was that. going to kill me. He threatened to kill me put a gun to my head and told me he was going to kill me. He said that? Yes. On one occasion? The time he put the gun to my head mm. was the first occasion, yeah. Do you know why he threatened to kill you? Because I threatened to tell what I'd been through. I asked him about the relationship her father had with police officers. He was friends. He was friends with the Goodner police. We barbecued. We went fishing on boats. You know, we went to police officers' houses and spent the night. We had barbecues at senior sergeant's house. 
and and you personally remember this. Do you remember any other police officers' names? Um, they call him. I think it's. And these are people that you personally witnessed have a friendship with your father, Pete. Yes, we had barbecues almost every weekend with them. I stayed at their houses. Where Leanne was found. Do you think your dad was there with detectives? I know he was there. They picked him up from the house that afternoon. He was wearing blue jeans and a black collared shirt because there was an argument between my stepmother and my father, the fact that he had a black shirt on. And then later that evening, as the news came over, um, my stepmother made us flip the channel really quickly because we had seen him with the police or with detectives at the crime scene where Leanne's body was recovered. All right, I really appreciate it, Kim. Thank you. Okay, thanks. All right, see ya. Okay, bye. I was careful wherever possible to confirm the claims she made. The majority of the claims were able to be independently verified. As well as interviewing one daughter, I was able to interview pedophile Pete's ex-wife, her current husband and a neighbour from Goodna. And what they have said is extraordinary and their stories have not changed. They all believe pedophile Pete is the killer of Leanne Holland. The family claim their father was an active criminal but also a police informant. They said he was always in the company of police and police were regular visitors to their house drinking beer and having barbecues. They told me that during the Leanne Holland murder, detectives were there every day and their father was telling them what they should do next. Like I said, they told me some very bizarre stuff. Wow. They claimed he ran the Holland murder investigation. Bizarre, or maybe not. Mm. To be a fly on the wall in that house. Yeah. So, Graham, we've previously stated we believe someone tipped off the police that there was a murder, where to find the body, and that Graham Stafford was the killer, hence the murder investigation starting day one. Graham Stafford being targeted from day one as the killer and the body being found very quickly by just two police out searching on motorbikes. Someone told them, was it pedophile Pete? We have previously talked about the major incident job logs. The job log records all information coming in and what action the investigators took. We strongly suggest pedophile Pete was the author of this comment early in the investigation. In fact, on day one in the morning, item 25 of the log reads in part, Information from informant known to this office that the missing person is a former resident of Bailey Street and was widely regarded by locals as a young girl who roamed the streets and had a nickname suggesting sexual favours. We don't intend to disclose the nickname or any further information regarding it, but by this one comment, Leanne's reputation was trashed. The informant also says that her father is a drunk and that the child went mostly unsupervised, and we suggest that tainted the police investigation going forward. What is also strange about these comments by the informant is that they're all in the past tense. Was regarded, not is regarded. And the child went mostly unsupervised, not the child goes mostly unsupervised. The informant was speaking of the missing person in the past tense, not the present tense. Of course, we have no way of knowing if the informant said that or the police officer recorded that, but it is noteworthy. We believe the informant mentioned in item 25 of the major incident job logs to be pedophile Pete. And as we've said previously, detectives told pedophile Pete to visit Terry Holland at his house after Leanne Holland was reported missing to see if he could find out any information about Leanne Holland from Terry. Why would police send an informant around regarding a missing person? Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just ask Terry Holland themselves? Did they think Terry Holland would tell a neighbour something about his missing daughter that he wouldn't tell detectives? What was going on in the background here that wasn't documented? This brings us to the first 
confirmed lie that pedophile Peters told. He knew she was missing. He went to the Holland household. Yet when he was interviewed by Channel 7, he claimed he knew nothing about it until after her body was found. Here is his comments in his voice. But remember, Channel 7 called him Steve. We call him Pete. He has so many known aliases, he would be comfortable answering to any name. This audio clip is from the podcast Little Girl Lost. Steve had once been a neighbour of the Holland family. He'd been asked by police to drop by to see Leanne's father, Terry, soon after her disappearance, in the hope he'd be able to glean some information as to what had happened to Leanne. This is Steve speaking with Michael Usher. Did you kill Leanne Holland? Absolutely not. Definitely did not. Had nothing to do with it. Knew nothing about it until after her body was actually found. Why have Stafford's supporters all these years put you forward as a person of interest, as someone who could have killed Leanne? I think to do with that was the um, proximity of where I lived, plus the fact that I didn't know the uh, Holland family. Um, I'd done jail with him. Um, For other than them reasons, I couldn't tell you. Maybe because um, I was convicted of a sex offence. Graham, when I was doing some research for this chapter, and I couldn't help but notice that the reporters, they label you as a Stafford supporter. What do you think of that, Graham? To being labelled as a Graham Stafford supporter and not just a person searching for the truth. Personally, Jamie, I see myself as just trying to identify Leanne Holland's killer. One of Pete's daughters told me that their father had post-mortem photos of Leanne Holland, which he showed her. And we have been told that Pete was taken out of prison a lot during his sentence. Here's what journalist Daryl Giles says about the matter. You received some information that um, the person we call pedophile Pete had some post-mortem photos of Leanne Holland. Is that right? That's correct. We got information uh, at the time that a, a former fellow inmate came to me and said, I know this guy. I was um, sharing a cell with him at one point in the jail they were in together, and he was he was scared of this bloke. He was absolutely terrified of him. He shared a cell with him, but, and he said at one point, Pete, as we call him, um, pulled out these photographs and showed him, which were obviously crime scene photos of of Leanne's body and threatened him and said, um, you know, he had to basically do what uh, Pete wanted or uh, family members could end up the same way. Um, He confirmed a lot of evidence which we believed only the killer would know. Uh, Having these photos uh, was certainly uh, scared this fellow inmate to come forward and tell me about it. He knew I was working on the case and um, mm. how he would get hold of these is just beyond belief. Um, at the time, he, he was telling this other inmate that the photos had come from police. And we were a little wary about that. They could have been taken by himself at the crime scene or in fact come from the police himself. And, and we later found out he was a, a police informant who had helped police throughout this case and other cases. And I had a corrective services uh, insider t- tell me that um, our pedophile Pete was in fact kept in contact with the detectives who worked on the Leanne Holland case for many years and that they used to take him outside jail on weekends they took him to a funeral. Um, they took him drinking on Friday afternoons. Gave him a free pass for the weekend. One, the corrective services insider said that um, on one occasion they took him to a brothel. That um, they basically looked after this guy who was serving a long sentence for a horrific sex crime. Yet seemed to have uh, mates on the inside who looked after him at weekends and took him outside. And I was showing records of something like about six weekends over a nine weekend, nine week stretch where he was out 
with these detectors on this week, on these weekends, which is just you know, hard to believe that anyone would be uh, given that sort of assistance by police. Well, in fact, um, pedophile Pete was bragging that this happened during the entire length of his sentence, not just um, for a short period. But the records you were showing didn't go over the, the entire period of his sentence, did they? No, the records I was, was just a, a select period of pretty intense uh, uh, travel in and out of the jail. Um, the insider was breaking all sorts of rules to, to look at this information just to help me out. And, uh, and he was not able to obviously look at the whole period covering a number of years, but certainly was able to confirm the, the information that we had and uh, that this uh, Pete was given special treatment by detectives working on the Holland case. Right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And Jamie, it just gets more bizarre. One of the lead detectives involved in the Leanne Holland murder investigation was himself later implicated in several other criminal matters during his career with the Queensland Police. Graeme, you told me a wild story about the general. Tell us about that. One prisoner, Lee Henderson, but known by detectives as the general and serving a life sentence for murder, had his own locker at the Rockhampton Police Station. And this is a sizeable station, with around 200 police serving there. The general would be taken from prison to the police station, where he changed clothes in his own locker, naturally marked the general, and then went out into the community, provided with a mobile phone, obtained in a false name, as well as a fake birth certificate. Information detailing the general's antics are contained in the report appropriately named Dangerous Liaisons, written by the Crime and Misconduct Commission in 2009. The full 140-page report can be found on the website Who Killed Leanne Holland. The General and Police receive a dishonourable mention from pages 70 to 82 in that report. Seriously, you couldn't make this shit up. Some further bizarre conduct of pedophile Pete includes The family told stories such as Pete would burn them on their hands, arms and legs with cigarettes and cigarette lighters. He would inflict smileys on them with the lighter and lit cigarette. One of the daughters claimed to be permanently deaf in one ear as a result of backhanders from her father. Leanne Holland had marks on her body, consistent with cigarette burns. If you remember back to Chapter 3, I spoke to one of Leanne's childhood friends, Julie. She lived on the same street as Leanne in Bailey Street, Goodner. Well, I also spoke to Julie's mother, Barbara, and here's what she had to say to me. You lived, did you live next door to... Yes. Like directly next door or across the road? No, the other side. Holland's one side and um, lived on the other side. Okay, so you're in the middle. Mm-hmm. For the podcast, we're calling Pete. Just so you know, so okay. I'll, I'll refer to him as Pete for the remainder of this conversation. You mentioned to me earlier when we spoke a few months back that you treated some injuries on Leanne, some burn marks. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. What kind of burns were they? Well, they were small burns. And I asked her, I said, what's this on your arm? And she said, shrugged it off and said, oh, I'll just knock them out to a friend and tell me they were cigarette burns. And I said, well, that's really silly. And it was looking infected, so I dressed it and said, don't do it again. So it was, it was clearly a cigarette burn to you or maybe a smiley, a lighter burn? It had a curve to it. But she told me that they were lighter burns. Um, it did have a curve to it. Yeah, I suppose you could call it a smiley. And did you only see them on one occasion or how often? Only the once. Yeah. Because um, I had her over for the school holidays 
for about five days. I promised her when we moved that I'd bring her over when I got settled. So she was at my place at the time. And then I discovered it was on her forearm between her elbow and wrist. So she does say it was a cigarette burn and then she said it was a lighter burn. So there is some confusion there, but it's a burn of some sort. You mentioned you had seen Leanne down in the sh- down at the shops in a car with some young men. Mm-hmm. Can you describe that situation for me? Well, I pulled up in Queen Street and got out the car and here's Leanne sitting with a blue, grey, old sedan. And I said, what are you doing? And uh, she said, well, we're going home shortly. And uh, I said, well, you'd better go home. I said, because I'll be back in a minute to check. And um, the, the driver said, we're going straight home. And I said to Leanne, I'll talk to you later. And I spoke to her father about it. And it was up to him to deal with it then. I was not impressed. Do you know who those young men were? Um, they lived across the road and up a little bit. Um, I think... The owner of the car lives there, but I don't know who the others were because there was quite often a few of them. Was it just the one time you saw her in the car there at the shops? Yeah, just the once, yeah. yeah. How old were those boys? I'd say late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. more than likely early 20s. There's usually about four of them because they'd be on the brain of drinking and uh, what concerned me was one night I heard Melissa yell out, go away, leave me alone. So I went over thinking, this is strange. And one of the guys, don't know who they were, but one of the guys was half there and he was half drunk. So I hunted him and said, you better go now, Terry's on his way. I said, I'll ring the police if I And he willingly left. But now, obviously, it was a threat to a young girl. I don't know whether Leanne was there. I presume she was. But, um, yeah, and I'm told. The owner of that bluey station wagon, or bluey car, sorry, that you saw um, that lives down the road from you, they were at Melissa's house and they're giving Melissa some grief? No, it was just one male. One male. Um, at her, at her, one male at her front door. And then when I hunted him, he went over to that house. How old do you think he was? Maybe early 20s. Hmm. It, it's hard to tell. It, it, sure. it was dark. Yeah, it was dark. So. And what about this white ambulance that we've heard about? Have you seen well, one of those yeah. around there? Yes, I have seen it, and only through the podcast. Um, white ambulance was mentioned there's been a white ambulance that was visiting there it wasn't there all the time but it visited at that same house mm-hmm. did you ever see the driver of that white ambulance no no not so Jamie both families lived in the same street in Goodna and we've been told that the families were friends. And pedophile Pete was a truck driver and used to travel to Western Queensland. And there's claims that he took both Melissa Holland and Leanne Holland on trips with him in that truck. The family claimed that pedophile Pete liked young girls. His, his ex-wife told us she was 14 when she met pedophile Pete, as was his next wife. Uh, I married... When I was 15 in 1972, I was 14 when I met him in 71. How old was he? Uh, He was 19. That's Chrissy, one of Pete's ex-wives. You have heard from her in a previous chapter. And um, I had to uh, go to court and get a judge's permission to get married, being under the age. And which was granted. So we were married in the registry office in Brisbane on the 2nd of June 1972. Um, and you were 15? I was 15. Chrissy went on to tell me many things about her relationship with Pete. To give you a visual, the house was painted in some sort of a dark purple colour. The curtains were drawn. There was an ashtray on the table with a recently smoked cigarette sitting in the middle of it. 
Chris's new partner was also there. Just a warning, the following conversation contains strong descriptions of sexual abuse and animal cruelty. Listen at your own discretion. How many kids did you have with I had four children in five years. And then he kicked two out of me. I lost one baby in um, September and I lost the second one in October. Oh, yeah, I had um, 36 staples in my stomach and he would just kick me until half of them burst and I'd end up back in PA. And then eventually it got to the stage where I had to have a full hysterectomy. It was just too much damage. But he always said to me, like, I've got scars on my face, on my arms, my back. I've got burn marks. Um, with a lighter? Or a cigarette, yeah. Chrissy's description of her life with Pete is pretty hectic. I asked her how many times she had moved house while she was with him. I think I tried adding up. We moved in the 10 years that I was sort of living with him, we probably moved about 78 times. Wow. Can I just ask, did he actually, apart from the sexual assault, did he actually ever hurt any of his children? And if so, how? Is deaf in the right ear. I'm going to beep out the name of the daughter that Chrissy's referring to here. He hit her so hard across the face that he deafened her. He's damaged all the nerves in her, uh, to her eardrum. The eardrum wasn't burst, but all the nerves were damaged. And she was about six or seven when mm. that happened. I don't know why he hit her so hard because she never done anything wrong. Mm. Whatever you asked her, she would do. Mm. Um, Christine, she caught that many hidings because she was a tantrum, tantrum thrower. So he would belt her. He would use an electric cord on her. And if I stepped in, well, I ended up with black eyes, broken ribs, whatever. The houses would always end up with holes in walls. What year did you separate from him or get away or leave or however you did? Uh, he, he came out of jail in, I think, April, April 83. Was that a second offence, the second oh, day of prison? Oh, no, he, he had been all our married life. He had done a week here, two weeks there, a month here, a couple of days, um, forever in and out of court. And his big thing was that he would always make me take the babies with me so the judge would feel sorry for me and let him come home. Uh, he, he, he has four answers to every one question. He was, well, he, he actually spent his 17th birthday in jail. I know he had been to Westbrook, Boys Town, uh, that he had raped his own sister. That's why he was thrown out of home at 13. Um, I've had a gun in my mouth. I've had my fingers broken because you can't dial a, a phone with broken fingers. Um, he'd bring home a kitten for the children. You know, if the, the he, I don't know, be in a bad mood, he'd pick that kitten up in front of the children and wring its neck until its eyes popped out of its head. And the kids would scream when we were at um, Kelba, the kids had found a turtle in a little tiny puddle of water because the dam had nearly gone dry. And they came up all excited, look, look what we found. And I said, go put it back. He smashed it in front of them and killed it. When we were in Jandawi, you know, um, he was ploughing and he'd jump down and grab a few little baby hairs or something and bring them home for the children. And then if they were, that's why they weren't naughty. They were too afraid to be naughty. He would kill them in front of him. Anything that the children loved, 
he would kill it. He tied the tail of two cats and threw it over the washing line and let the cats claw themselves to death. Who rapes his own daughters, his own sister, his own nieces, own cousins, and then his own granddaughter? And if you would like to know, he's got 17 children that he acknowledges, okay? 17 that he acknowledges, the others they could be. The family claimed Pete was at the body disposal site dressed as and with detectives. They say they saw him on the Channel 7 News. They had no photos of their father, old or recent, as he had taken them all to verify their claims. So we were in a position where they claimed it was him, but we had nothing to compare it with. But it was an extraordinary claim. What is a career criminal doing at a crime scene dressed as and with detectives? But they said he was the man in black. And from police video footage of the crime scene, where the body was dumped, there is only one man in black. And there is very clear vision of this man in black standing with detectives, watching the pathologist do her grisly business. So we were able to obtain a recent photograph of Pete and compare them to the photographs of the person at the body dump site that the family claimed is him. The resemblance, even though there is a gap of some 29 years, is striking. We were also able to obtain the services of a courtroom sketch artist who took the photograph from the man from the dump site and projected what that person would look like today. And the resemblance to the recent photo is again striking. And again, I'm just stunned. What would a career criminal be doing at a crime scene with police? Recently, I spoke with a former neighbour of Pedophile Pete, And this is what she had to say. Our apologies, the audio is not great for this phone call. Have you been able to identify pedophile Pete in those photos? Yes. I actually had um, already seen him on the TV when the story first came out and found it strange. This is Dawn, a long-time resident of Bailey Street, Goodna. That he was actually on the TV, and I'll never forget it. So that had been embedded in my mind. So when a photo had become available on... um, uh, during a recent court case that he had and a photo was taken of him, that was the photo, exact photo that I'd seen. I'd never forgot his face. When we initially approached the Queensland Police about Pete being at the crime scene, the reply was that they knew the identity of the person and it was not Pete. We were careful to clarify that we were talking about the man in black. In fact, the only man in black. Would they tell us who it was then? The answer was no, they would not. When we went back to them again with further identifying information and showed them the photographs that we'd obtained and informed them that Pete has been identified by five people as being the person in the photograph, the response this time from Queensland Police was no comment. We have emailed the current Queensland Police Commissioner, Katrina Carroll, to come on the podcast to discuss this and other extraordinary claims. She has declined. We have messaged her on Twitter. No response received. When the police review was completed in 2012, the police stated that the pedophile was not at the body disposal crime scene, we have been told. The person claimed to be him was in fact a detective. In their report, they were critical that I relied on only one person to say he was in the photograph. However, three relatives confirmed him in the photograph as well as a neighbour. But at no time did police ever contact me to ask if who I'd spoken to regarding an identification. A detective involved in the police review confided to me that they had confirmed that the pedophile had been at the body disposal site. He said, where's the effect of some police at the crime scene were unhappy about it? But there it was. Wow. In 2019, I was contacted by ethical standards of Queensland Police. Not about the veracity of this extraordinary claim and the very obvious concerns it raises, but seeking the identity of the detective who leaked the information to to me. 
I refuse to disclose his name as it will only detract from this matter. Don't get me wrong, I would give up the detective's name in a heartbeat if I thought it would progress the matter, but it wouldn't. This is about a murder, not about leaking information, and we have seen how QPS pursues whistleblowers. However, with dismay and cynicism, I note no inquiries were made as to who unlawfully leaked the police review to a commercial television station in 2016. Apparently, the police also concluded that the daughters lied and their father was a victim rather than an offender, despite him being convicted by a jury. There was a recommendation that I be charged again and also Joe Crowley, the barrister, to face charges. I have to say, shooting the messenger is a Queensland police specialty. Needless to say, no charges were ever presented. We've done nothing wrong other than shine the light on a miscarriage of justice. Curiously, Greg Carey from Radio 4BC, Australian Story, and journalist Daryl Giles all interviewed the daughter, yet we were the ones singled out for comment. And in December 2018, pedophile Pete, then aged 65 years, was charged with four counts of rape of his 11-year-old granddaughter. He awaits trial in the Queensland District Court. To say that Pete had a close relationship with Queensland Police Service is an understatement. It is well known he was a police informant and very friendly with the Goodner detectives. Ask his family, ask police. We have confirmed he was at the body disposal site with detectives. And it is known he went to the Holland House at the behest of the detectives. We were not aware how close the relationship was. We thought it was mainly with two Goodner-based detectives. This audio clip is from the podcast Little Girl Lost. There was also a suggestion that being an informant offered him some police protection. Prior to his conviction for incest in 1995, the professional relationship between some members of the Goodness CIB evolved into a personal friendship, giving rise to public speculation that police protected Steve from investigation as the suspect for Leanne Holland's murder. Graham Crowley also said one of the investigators had since been prosecuted for inappropriate relationships with criminals and informants. However, that officer was acquitted. It transpires he had close relationships with many more. He attended police social functions. Just to explain, when an officer is promoted, transferred or retires, a social function usually follows. It used to be barbecues and beer. I expect the tradition has not changed much. So when someone retires or they've moved on, they throw a party for the officer to celebrate their career, their service. So it beggars belief that a career criminal would be invited to police social functions. It actually says something about the police culture at that time in that district. So Graham, this never happened when I was in the job at any district that I worked at. There was never a criminal informant um, at a police function. What about you, Graham? Unheard of, mate. Would never have happened. Not where I worked. So imagine our surprise and dismay when we found he had a very close association with the police superintendent at Ipswich. This officer was in charge of over 320 police officers. And this is what the superintendent of police had to say about Pete or Steve if you you refer to the Channel 7 documentary. Note, the commentary is by Channel 7 reporter. This audio is from the podcast Little Girl Lost. Former police superintendent Peter Slatter, the district officer who oversaw the Ipswich Police District, described Steve as a very, very good informant. He said Steve was never considered a suspect for Leanne Holland's murder. He told Michael Usher he had first met Steve and his wife at a police function and had no concerns about him. In his experiences, Mr Slatter said Steve was a happily married man and not a sexual deviant or someone with odd sexual proclivities. In fact, Mr Slatter said he wouldn't have invited Steve to his home or allowed him to mix with his wife and daughters if he regarded him as a sleaze or scumbag. He has been in contact intermittently with Steve since his release from jail, and Mr Slatter suspected Steve's daughter had been put up to making the allegations about the incest with her and the similarities to Leanne's murder. Mr Slatter believed the allegations were aimed at discrediting Steve and at the same time provided Stafford supporters the perfect suspect for Leanne's murder. So it's absolutely bizarre that a police superintendent would have a close friendship with a career criminal. That he would invite him to his home and 
mentioned socialising with his wife and daughters, that he would defend him and actually suggest that the allegations against him were not true and that Pete or Steve's daughter had been put up to making allegations about the incest affairs, despite Pete or Steve being found guilty in a district court by a jury and never appealed the conviction. And Pete slash Steve was sentenced to eight years imprisonment for incest, but apparently is not a sexual deviant with odd sexual proclivities, according to the superintendent. And he stays in contact with Pete slash Steve after his release from jail, after an incest conviction. Really? I wonder if the good superintendent knows Pete slash Steve is currently awaiting trial on four charges of raping his granddaughter. Of course, Pete slash Steve has to be given the innocent until proven guilty benefit of doubt. We will see if we can find the police superintendent and ask him. And incidentally, when you, Graham, first approached the arresting officer in the McFedrin case in 92, when there was an effort to arrest you, the district officer at that time in charge of the matter was none other than the same good superintendent. My suspicions surrounding the pedophile and the information I gathered was passed to police investigators. We have since been informed police eliminated him as a suspect for the murder of Leanne Holland. We can't wait to read the review in relation to that aspect of their inquiries. Was pedophile Pete involved in the murder of Leanne Holland? We don't know. Did he know Mark Thomas Noble? We don't know. Was he ever in the same prison as Mark Thomas Noble? Again, we don't know. Did he know Sean McFedrin? The answer is, we don't know. Why did he get such preferential treatment while serving eight years for incest? We don't know, but would love to. Were these claims investigated by the police review? and presumably all eliminated as incorrect or straight-out false. When I compare pedophile Pete's profile with that of Graham Stafford, I know who I think more likely to have committed the murder. This is a profile of pedophile Pete. A white male, at the time of Leanne Holland's murder, 38 years of age. A sexual deviant, lengthy criminal history, a penchant for young girls, he married two. Was at both crime scenes, knew the deceased well, lived in her house for at least a period of time, lived close to both crime scenes, had a fixation with Leanne Holland and ordered his children to stay away from her. At age 65, was arrested and charged with four counts of rape on his 12-year-old granddaughter. All we can do is hope that the police, when they did the review, thoroughly investigated pedophile Pete and were able to confidently and honestly eliminate him as a suspect. But I have some concerns, Jamie, when they say that we should have been charged and that pedophile Pete was in fact a victim, I have some real concerns. Yeah, and we've said it before and we'll say it again, like this is not against police as a whole. This is certain members of the Queensland police who have appeared to be socialising and hanging out with a career criminal and then they have the audacity to turn around and try and charge you guys for doing your job as a private investigator. Yep. Thanks for listening. Join us next time we discuss in detail the Queensland Police Service review of the original investigation. The review that concluded the original police had got it right and that Graham Stafford was the killer. And before you heard us, thank those people who have donated to us via the ACAST platform. The link is in the show notes. But a special shout out to Lindsay all the way over in Mexico who donated $20 Listening from Mexico, this show has been such a highlight of the pandemic and makes me feel nostalgic of Australia and the Aussie spirit which I miss so much. I am filled with admiration for you both and your selfless pursuit of justice and the truth. You're such great blokes. Good luck. Cheers, Lindsay. Hearing that makes it all worthwhile. Thank you very much. And also, the co-host for this podcast, Graham Crowley, is officially cancer-free with his recent checkup, got the all clear, so that's fantastic, mate lives to fight another day. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. It was recorded, edited, and theme song by Jamie Pultz. This episode was mixed, mastered, and additional editing by Alex Rottier at Paperbark Studios. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats and you can find him on SoundCloud or Instagram or Spotify 
Just look for at Papa Beats. If you like any of the sounds that you hear and you are a podcaster looking to make a true crime podcast, then you can purchase his sounds. All the links will be in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanneholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help. And a special thanks to Yamaha Music Australia, Audio Technica Australia, Zoom Australia, Isotope and Sound Theory. 